bison are stimulating the ecosystem. There's nowhere in the world where it's either plants or animals. They're always both. Like a living, breathing embodiment of sort of where we see the future of meat going. Welcome to Rome Ranch. This place is amazing. They've got regenerative bison on this property. And as you can see out here in the background, they've got a thousand acres of managed land on this location where they are rotationally grazing bison, moving them on the property, different acre segments, allowing the bison to rehabilitate the soil and allow this to become a diverse ecosystem where the quality of food can become richer, the sustainability of the entire ranch itself can be self-sustaining. So really for us in our journey, Epic was the foundation. It was the pillar which we learned about soil health. We discovered about soil nutrition and functioning ecosystems in regenerative agriculture. And so we used that information to tell a story that had never been told before. And we were diving deep into it. And one of our legacy, our founding objectives was to positively impact and convert a million acres of, of land from a degenerative conventional industrialized system to a regenerative system. And we did that, bam, but we didn't stop there. <laughs> Um, so then the evolution of um, Epic was sort of like the next evolution was, was Rome Ranch. So we bought this super degraded piece of land and we really tried to utilize it as a regenerative field experiment. So really proving to consumers that like you can take degenerated land and regenerate it um, with the use of animal impact um, and some of these regenerative principles that we talked about. So this, this piece of land is really like a living, breathing embodiment of um, our personal values and what we sort of envisioned Epic to be and sort of where we see the future of meat going. Yeah, so Katie and Taylor have been so generous with, with Rome Ranch, not only share it with the, the, the world um, and, and the local community, but to let me have some animals on the land and to participate in these really inspirational and powerful moments where we get to bring uh, people out from all over and, and teach them about regenerative agriculture and, and one of the things that has really Been difficult for us is once we open you know, pull the curtain back and open people's eyes to tell when they when they say I'm convinced I'm ready to change my behavior. I want to support a better system How do I do it and then not have a satisfactory answer for them? Well, there's plenty of incredible land stewards out there practicing regenerative agriculture It's extremely difficult for a consumer to find out who they are let alone find out how to get access to those products and support them. And so we decided that with the experiences that we've had and the relationships that we have and um, our um, tenacity that, you know, it would be, um, it would be a huge miss if we didn't try to take on the challenge of solving those problems and making sure that consumers were aware of how important their choices are and how powerful um, they are in changing this food system and then give them the opportunity to do just that and force of nature. Um, it's going to be the brand that will let them do it. What's the general process? So you're kind of, right now you're dealing with babies and I guess it's calfing season, is that what we call it? Yep. So you have calves that are very young, like just from anywhere from a couple days to a few weeks right now. So you're looking at ways to find sections where they're going to be on the land and herd it and just eat whatever's on the land that's available for them to eat and then you'll move them to different sections is that kind of the general process of how that works yeah there's there's a couple things so it's more than just rotational grazing so it's planned grazing and so we are looking forward throughout the year and we're identifying times of the year just like right now where we strategically are putting the bison in an area where there's trees 
where there's protection, where there's good shape, where there's high nutrition grasses, because there's little calves out and they're hot and they need water and they need resources like this and the moms need to get replenished. And so with the holistic planning, we're actually even looking at like, well, when are the deer, deer dropping the does? Uh, when are the migratory birds coming and nesting? And so we're consciously making decisions that enrich the entire ecosystem, but also serve our purpose with the animals, but bigger than that makes this place stronger. And so with the bison, you know, and all the animals, what we're essentially doing is we're replicating the natural herding behaviors of this animal. So there would have been 40 to 60 million bison in North America a couple hundred years ago. And they're the architects of our most fertile food system. So the symbiotic relationship between the animal and the soil is unlike anything that humans can ever reproduce. And so um, for millennia, these animals were hunted by predator species, right? You would have like bears, mountain lions, wolves, all even in central Texas hunting these animals. So they found protection in density. And, and then they also found protection in moving constantly. Like, if there's 10,000 bison hanging out like us and we're all pooping and peeing and eating everything that's available, well, we're not gonna hang out in this spot very long. We're gonna constantly move. And so that's a mistake that a lot of ranchers do is they let their animals have free range access to large acres of land. But with what we're doing with the planned grazing, the managed grazing, we're actually giving them smaller areas um, so they're more competitive, they're less selective about what they eat. So they have a more uniform impact on the land and then we rotate them. And then that rotation, that's the critical element, um, is the recovery. And so, like this particular area, this will get six months of rest before the animals come back in. And so that's again, beyond just rotational grazing, it's planned grazing, it's looking at the grass species we have here and recognizing what they need for full recovery. Now, do you do anything to the land after, you, um, after it has been grazed to kind of like help it recover or we Is leave that, it alone. You just leave it alone? Yeah, we absolutely leave it alone. After the bison come in and graze it, essentially, we're just letting it rest. Okay. I mean, it's like, there's like a rest period, and obviously we would love some rain. Um, that yeah. rest is where everything gets stronger, though. Because the bison are stimulating the ecosystem to rebuild. They're uh -huh. impacting it in a positive way. But without the sufficient rest, you're you're not allowing the plants to come back stronger. You're not allowing the seeds that are in all these animals' coats to start germinating and get set and established. Uh -huh. And so that rest component is the most important thing to consider in the whole equation. So, so go ahead, Robbie. So I was just gonna say, in, in, the, in the concept of regenerative too, like we're, we're talking some of the key techniques and management um, tools that you have to support this, these regenerative um, principles, right? And there's, there's five key regenerative principles that we could talk about. So there's um, kind of what Taylor had said, right? You know, the, the, the concept of regenerative agriculture is to, re to, to improve upon this chemical industrial agriculture system that we've, we've all become to, you know, found ourselves in a situation where we rely on. Um, and, and there's a myriad of challenges that it creates and promotes, you know, whether that be ecological or the health of, our, of humans or the welfare of those animals, etc. right? You're talking about like conventional farming methods where they spray fertilizer on the land and just try to like basically yeah. boost the production of the food source for the animals yeah. in the same area. So it's a very input driven, very chemistry driven, very much what am I going to go kill today? Am I going to apply an herbicide to kill plants? Am I going to apply a fungicide to kill um, you know, fungus, am I going to apply insecticide to kill insects or am I going to put in place fertilizer to make up for the lack of nutrition in the soil so I can pr 
promote food growth in this synthetic ecosystem. Gotcha. Um, or this degraded ecosystem, right? So regenerative agriculture is coming in and saying, I'm going to stop fighting nature and I'm going to partner with it. I'm going to work alongside it and I'm going to replace those chem that, that chemistry and those inputs with biology and management. Um, and the biology really comes from, and the, the key foundational elements are these five principles of regenerative agriculture. And the first one being to limit chemical and mechanical disturbance. Okay. So we talked about all of the sides, all of the byproducts of chemical warfare from the first and second world war that now we've turned into key elements in producing our food. Um, also mechanical disturbance, tilling the soil is absolutely devastating. Anytime that you're disrupting that soil um, biology, the, all of the connections in that life network there that is so fundamental to creating healthy ecosystems, um, you're, setting, you're, you're putting yourself further, further, further backwards, right? But the second one is armor the soil. So always keep the soil covered, right? You know, we, tilling, tilling is bad, but even worse than tilling alone is to turn, turn everything up and then just have hundreds of thousands of miles of bare dirt that oxidizes um, the ground, it, it, it releases carbon into the atmosphere, it cooks and burns and kills life beneath the soil again, destroying the soil biome or the, the rhizosphere. Um, also promoting erosion from wind and water, etc. more topsoil loss, more um, carry off of all these synthetic inputs that cause dead zones and oceans, things like that, right? And you see that in like a monocrop farm a lot of times, right? They go through and till it all and then it's oh, yeah. just exposed and it starts to become desertified, right? It becomes like depleted of all its yeah. native yeah. nutrition. Let's, let's be more clear, like if you go to the grocery store today, any grocery store in the United States and you buy fruits and vegetables, it's coming from a system like that. Um, at Organic any, included. At any given scale to produce plant-based foods for a population like, like we're doing, you have to rely on that industrialized model. There's no way around it. You're tilling, you're spraying, it's destructive. Yeah. I think like, like Taylor said, you, you don't realize that you are helping support and promote the system, but you know, we all are by, when we're not aware and we're not paying attention, we're not being more proactive with our food choices. But just for appreciation of the scale of that, of the land mass of the entire United States, just 5% five, 5 of it is just corn. And corn that is in these row crop systems where it, you, you mentioned the word desertified or desert, right? It is very proactive human effort using chemical, using you know, chemistry and mechanical disruption to fight nature and to promote one living organism over hundreds of thousands or actually in this case millions and millions of square miles. That is the food system that we rely on, right? So yeah, I mean, great, great call out. It's, it's, it's truly devastating for the land. So the, the third principle um, being, um, you know, living plants and living roots year round, right? So not only do we um, have the soil covered, but ideally you have it covered with, with, with a, uh, a bunch of plants that are doing some really important things, um, including how, you know, the, the process of photosynthesis, right? Converting the energy of the sun, the most powerful energy force in our whole solar system, into energy um, that can be taken and, and, and put into the ground for all of the life beneath the soil to do the really important, critical jobs that they have in promoting healthy ecosystems, right? Because everything above the soil and the health of it is a reflection of everything beneath the soil and the health of that. And all the nutrition that we get in our food comes from the soil, right? So we want that system working properly. Um, it is the number one tool in carbon drawdown on, as far as on land goes. The number one tool we have is plants um, participating in photosynthesis, taking CO2 out of the atmosphere, uh, spitting off oxygen that we breathe and leaving that carbon um, in the soil. 
drawing it down and feeding all of the life beneath the soil. So there's so many important things that happen when you have um, all of these plants working on the ground. Um, leading to the, 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 the fourth principle, which is diversity. You want to have a lot of different plants doing a lot of different things, right? Some will actually fix another greenhouse gas, nitrogen, right? Some will fix carbon, some have broadleaf, some have blades, some are perennials, some are annuals, some support certain pollinators, you know, so they all have that diversity. Everything has a role. And an example of diversity, um, and we'll talk, we'll just mix in the fifth one, which is um, animal impact, right? Incorporating animals on lands. But, you know, you just look at insects and you look at how aggressive we are at spraying pesticides to mitigate the challenge that undesirable pest species present, right? Mm -hmm. Well, for every undesirable pest, there's thousands of desirable ones that would actually offset the challenge that they create, right? You know, we were talking about praying mantises earlier and stuff, right? Like these are insects that actually go out and kill bad insects and stuff. And when you have balance, it limits the opportunity for any major dynamic swing or imbalance to exist. But when you're promoting a monoculture, you're promoting the perfect opportunity for crazy plagues and imbalances to exist. So um, just one easy example of why it's important to have diversity and to allow all of these organisms that evolve symbiotically to do the very important, very, very critical biological functions and services that they that they do, including animals, right? And we don't, we often talk about this is plant-based or this is animal, this is good, this is bad. You know, it's like, it's like this binary thing. And the reality is, the reality is there's nowhere in the world where you have healthy ecosystems where it's either plants or animals. They're always both. You don't see thriving, diverse ecosystems that don't include animals or that only include plants, right? And Taylor and Katie, have, we've been talking about some of the really important things that, that ruminant anim animals do and how to manage them so that they can truly fulfill that potential um, that they have as keystone species in these systems. You can't have a regenerative system without animals as part of the equation. It's just impossible. Um, because you're combating nature, right? Like where in nature will you find a functioning ecosystem with the absence of animals? It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so again, if you're trying to build a regenerative system, even if you're on a plant-based diet, an animal has to positively impact that land to cycle nutrients and to stimulate growth. Yeah. One of the important things that ruminants do is drop organic matter behind them. And that becomes food for, again, those insects and the, and the microbiological life. And it builds soil and it promotes all of these systems, right? In many arid climates, the, the well, a, a key source of water um, is going to be from the rumen of the animal through whatever they defecate or urinate on the ground, right? And um, going through and preventing um, plants from growing too big and oxidizing and, and then shading out everything beneath it, they trample it down, they eat it, you know, they waller it and they, may, and they may create a watering hole that becomes a habitat for a certain amphibian species and birds, you know, so it's like all of these things that are really cool and beautiful about nature. Mm -hmm. You know, when we practice conventional agriculture, we distance ourselves from that. And when we practice regenerative agriculture, again, we try to find ways to shift our management practices so that we can really take advantage of what nature offers us and leverage a partnership with nature. Because I can promise you that over the long term, we can either fight nature or work with it. And nature's gonna win. So I wanna be on the side of nature. Mm -hmm. uh, we're out on the property. Where, where relative to the property are we right now? And What's going on here this location sure so this is this is what we call our rangeland okay. so it's the northern half of the property this is like iconic central texas hill country ecosystem where you have large established oak trees you have tall grasses you have wild wildflowers lots of wildlife back here creeks and rivers and so it's abundant 
uh, an abundance of life back here. And we have the bison here today because it's hot. It's gonna be close to 100 degrees. And so instead of putting them in a big previously farmed field with no trees, the animals are finding shade and staying cooler during the daytime. On this particular property, when we bought it, bison had been removed from the property for probably about 150 years. So they were native to this land back, back yeah. before. Yeah, all of central Texas. You know, they would have had migratory pathways up to Canada, down into Mexico. Wow. And so this was a river valley that, you know, some of the early settlers accounted seeing herds in the tens, hundreds of thousands of animals. And for the last 150 years ago, they've been absent of the ecosystem. Well, this ecosystem evolved for hundreds of thousands of years with that animal present. And so as a keystone species, to be able to put that native animal back, it's like almost like this ecosystem is singing with their presence. So I, I take it you're not regretting choosing bison as no. your keystone no species? No, a lot of people are like, no, they're aggressive, they're mean, but ours are totally fine with like a one strand electric fence. It's yeah, right just, there. Yeah. Um, they could jump over that if they wanted to. They can jump over an eight foot fence. But if you keep them happy, you keep them fed, and all their needs met, they're very content. That's cool. Yeah. All of the big projects, again, like we're investing in the health of this ecosystem. So everything that we do every day, it's not so much about like, well, how can we make this place more productive or more profitable or cooler? It's like, how can we make this ecosystem more resilient? Yeah, more resilient, more biodiverse. Um, and so that's what we do out here on a daily basis. That's what we wake up thinking about. What do you hope on, hope to pass on to your daughter in terms of this whole experience living here and, and building a regenerative farm and growing Rome Ranch and having her here? You go first. I always feel like I'm gonna cry when I talk about Scott. You go. <laughs> no, you go. It's so sad and happy all the same time. Um, why do y'all do this? <laughs> I think what we're hoping to leave our daughter is a really good sense of purpose. And teach her about a natural world and teach her her place in that ecosystem. And with the hopes of instilling this very powerful message in that next generation, have her carry on the torch and amplify what we're doing here bigger than we ever could have and ever imagined. That's the hope. I really want to leave Scout clean water and clean air and healthy soil. But more than anything, like I really want to leave her with a sense of hope. It's like there will be that for her children. That's been one of the most encouraging things is we're obviously really passionate about this stuff and we have this idea that consumers will be as well if we can if we can again make it available to them and the most encouraging thing I would say is that when we've um, been able to get in front of a consumer we've seen almost to a person them stand up and say yes I, I get it and I want to be a part of that of a better system right and even when we don't have an opportunity to personally interact with them we're seeing that in their behavior in the store making a better purchase right um, the truth is that by and large, most consumers think they're already supporting these things. They think if they buy a package that says natural, or if they think if they buy a package that says organic or some other stuff, that it represents. When we pull the curtain back and reveal to them that, that they've been misled and that despite their best efforts, they're, they're supporting a system that is counter to their own personal values, um, they very quickly recognize that they're gonna support a company like ours who's actually offering the product they already think they're getting and whose values align with their own.
I, I talk too much as it is. So. <laughs> Perfect. No, that's good. Yeah. You good?